Most Awakened Podcast, a no-nonsense approach to spirituality with your hosts, Brittany Hartley and Bill Reed. Here we dive deep into the wisdom traditions while acknowledging insightful breakthroughs in science, psychology, and human development. Our goal is to explore the good life and the very best of spirituality, no-nonsense required. Check us out at almostawaken.org where you can check out past episodes, make a donation, email us a question or comment, or find out more about the resources we shared. And now, today's podcast episode. Britt, how are you? Good, how are you? Awesome. Life is good. What, what's uh, what's, what's new? new? Oh, you're asking what's me. What's new Let's... with you? You go first. Um, what's new with me? I've got a, my youngest kid is a 16 year old. He just got his driver's license. I'm a little scared. Um, if you live in Southern Utah, you should probably only drive in the wee hours of the morning when he is likely to not be on the road. <laughs> um, other than that, uh, we've so who's, got... who's better driving with him, you or your wife? Who can be more patient with that? My wife by far is way more patient than I am. <laughs> um, it is a nice That was my difference. guess, but I wasn't sure. You nailed it. <laughs> I'm not, uh, yeah. I, I'm not really good at sitting with my disturbances on my children's driving yet. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be well, good. It, that's else. a great place to practice some Zen, you know? Yeah, it, it is. It is. And it's scary as hell too. Um, what else is new? We're going to Fargo, North Dakota in a couple of weeks. Doesn't sound like a hot vacation really? spot, right? Yeah, we've got a sister-in-law. I got a sister-in-law, my wife's sister, who is uh, having a ring ceremony. And uh, this is really a cool thing. Um, her whole family is in the church one way or another, active, maybe not active, but believing. And this sister's for the most part out and uh, not really believing. And uh, me and my wife, of course, are out not believing. And she's asked me to do the ring ceremony and to toast them at the reception. And it'll be interesting because that side of the family is still in the religion. And a little, a little kind of looks down on me a little bit, like I've fallen off the track and shame on me. And so it'll be interesting when we get there. I don't know if they know I'm doing that or not yet. And uh, I'm a little nervous about what all I'm going to say or how I'm going to say it, but I'm hoping to teach some secular Buddhism rather than religious principles in terms of how they can form a successful marriage. Yeah, it's a great honor. I'm really excited to hear how it goes. I've done that a couple times for like families that, you know, some are believing, some are not, and you're trying to weave something together that everybody can be on board with, right? Because yeah. the purpose is to like, you know, weave this family together. So it really is like, a. this is where like, you have a great chance to, you're looking at everyone's beliefs. We've been in this world for a long time. How can we weave this together and, and create something really beautiful? So when it turns out great, it's, a huge honor and I believe in you. you can okay. Like, if you got any uh, good stuff written up in a template, send it to me. <laughs> okay. I'm, I might do that. <laughs> Other than that, how are you doing? Um, I'm good. I, you know, I've just been in an existential crisis since I was 14 years old. <laughs> and you know what? Lately, I'm just really not. And that's a new kind of way of living for me. I have never been like, I just wake up and the sun is shining and 
birds are chirping and it's going to be a great day. Like I've always been like, but what about, you know, and I really have lately been waking up and just saying, I'm alive another day. What do I want to experience today? It's a beautiful summer day. I, I want to, my, my kids are never going to be this exact age old ever again. I want to experience that. I want to experience a conversation with Bill, you know, my dear friend. And I just really wake up every day. Like, what do I want to experience today? And that is new for me. I know people who live like that naturally. And like, that's amazing. That is not natural for me. Yeah. Um, but it shows that I feel like I'm really, I've made sense of a lot of things and made peace with a lot of things. So I'm doing like really good. And it's like one of those times where it's like suspiciously good. Like where's <laughs> like, the next around. existential yeah. crisis? <laughs> or maybe I really did this time, like get to the bottom of the barrel of that and made peace with it. But wow. I'm doing really well. <laughs> um, I, again, I am one of those lucky ones. I've, from the day I was born, I've, I've felt that way. Every day is a great day. Even when something really bad yeah. happens, like, okay, I'll deal with some sadness tonight, but when I wake up in the morning, let's do, let's do another good day. And I have really never dealt with days in a row of, of whatever that feels like. Yeah. I just, at, at about 14, 15, the weight of human suffering just like crushed me. Yeah. And that took a long time to work out, but man, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know what else I'm supposed to say. To that, so, okay, <laughs> it's you're supposed to say we're you know we must be on to something. We're we're both you, I, and I know that you've always been a more happy-go-lucky person, but I do remember your rough times. You know, I remember your times where, you know, you had some PTSD stuff showing up in your body because yeah. what you were doing was too hard. So, you know, if anything shows that we're maybe onto something, it's that we're doing pretty good. Yeah. 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 Amen to that. And it but is. But today like we're going to offend everyone. Let's Are do you it. ready for today? Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Let's I really Let's jump into think, it. yeah, we, so for today, we're going to take on the occult. And I really think that we are going to offend everyone today. Because everybody because I, has something, huh? I think so. We're just, you know, we're just naturally superstitious people. And so what I think is that when you go to like a some traditional Christian or uh, some organized religion podcast and you go on there and you talk about how actually the Bible is really messy and everybody gets mad at you. I feel like this is the same energy, <laughs> this yeah. message that we're giving to the post-religious community. So the post-religious community can just kind of go haywire with its woo. And today we're going to kind of just say for you and me, and we may be the same on some places. I think there's a couple places where we may be different. We're going to kind of draw the line of, okay, this is what's happening that's good. This is... <laughs> superstitious woo that is attached to it and yeah. we're going to try to draw some lines and i think okay. offend some people i'm excited let's do it let's let's hurt their do. feelings okay so <laughs> we'll start off with um tarot we're going to start off with tarot cards and we'll just use that as a bouncing off point to talk about we're going to talk about all the things so if you're listening we're going to do tarot and horoscope and crystals and incense and anything that you would find in a new age spiritual mystic shop we're going to talk about it today and i think something to be aware of is as you're listening to this and even as i may like 
we may some say something that is offensive to some people in this post-religious community. Um, there is this concept I want to mark at the beginning of this conversation, which is this concept of rebound spirituality. I don't know if you ever heard of this, but it's this concept where if you have a really, really ordered and structured religion, right? And then that leaves, it leaves this like really big hole in your life. And often as people do with relationships, like if you have a 20 year relationship and you know, you have a rebound relationship because something needs to fill that void. And so a lot of this, I think, is rebound spirituality for people when they are experiencing their first steps out of religion. And that's okay. You know, just like, you know, you may rebound a couple times before you settle into a, a healthy relationship. Um, a lot of this is just so much more intuitive than organized religion. It feels really good. Um, but I think that there's some traps here too. I think that there's a shadow side to all this new agey spirituality. So we'll start with tarot. So tarot originally, it was just a card game. It's like a bridge and it shows up in Europe in the 15th century and uh, mostly to wealthy families because the printing press wasn't there yet. So these are hand painted cards and they're like little paintings and you're totally rich if you could afford these. And so these early tarot cards um, in Italy, they had suits, they had trump cards, all these kinds of things. And then in the 1700s, divination starts to get really popular. And so people start to kind of codify these cards and release your own decks and try to incorporate astrology because of course in astrology, if you're in the 1700s, everything is just so mysterious. And a lot of the books were really borrowed from, a lot of the ideas were really borrowed from Egyptian texts, the book of Thoth and other um, Egyptian gods, all these kinds of things. So even though we're talking about this, it's like we talk so much in Mormonism about like the book of Abraham and Egyptian stuff. And again, it's showing up, you know, the magic just is very, shows up everywhere. So it gives meaning to these cards incorporating these beliefs about astronomy and all these elements and then eventually it's codified and we have something called the rider weight deck and you've seen these illustrations and they're printed on this deck and people use it to um, have a conversation with their subconscious and then it becomes more people believe that the cards are kind of telling the future, telling what's going on. And so, so off the top, have you ever had your tarot read? What do you think about this thing that's going on with tarot cards? So I have friends who they label themselves as like a witch or things along that line. And I've got friends who do the tarot readings and um i find it intriguing but for i don't know how far you want me to go into right now but let me i'll say this you sent me a clip of jordan peterson and sam harris talking about tarot cards and i would agree 100 percent with sam harris the way he framed it and jordan came in and sort of agreed too and it's this idea that we all have blind spots and what tarot does is randomly point you to something going on inside of you and I am, I think there's value there. I think all, you know, everything's myth and myths seem to work better when you believe in them. 
And so if somebody is intuitive and the person who is having their tarot read is also intuitive and this random card comes up, which can apply, I think, to all of us in some way. Sam Harris went through the idea of like, let me flip over these two cards and here's what they are. And of course, everybody has these things they're wrestling with in life. And you may have a different thing than me, but we're both wrestling with something. And so when the card is shown, it points us to maybe something we weren't an angle or an idea that we weren't thinking about. And when we see that idea in the form of a tarot card, it refocuses our mind in a certain spot. And if we get something from that, then it's useful. Now, do I believe there's any supernatural determination of which card comes up? No. Do I think there's any supernatural um, thing going on that the card you needed is the one that was picked up? No, but I do think those cards generally point people towards real things going on in their world. And just about everybody can connect with just about every card. And so the, so the myth does its trick. And I think it does work better if you believe in it. Yeah, so that's that's the tricky spot for me, and you really nailed it for me. Is that is that you and I? I think could both get our tarot read, and um, I have I've had my tarot I've had my tarot you know read, and it's true that when someone says to me, someone gave me it was like the hangman or dead man I don't know what it was called, but she asked me the question, "What in you needs to die so that something else can come to life?" And because it's um, a picture, it's much easier for your subconscious to show up, right? Than if someone were to maybe just ask me straight out. So because the picture is there, my subconscious is gonna fill that picture with meaning, right? And I instantly thought of the thing that I needed to let go of in order that something else can come to life, right? And that was meaningful and it was beautiful to do that with someone else. It's almost like you're having a conversation with you and another person and then your intuition is kind of sitting there too and you're kind of all discussing this. And because it's pictures and symbolism, our subconscious is able to show up more. And I think that that can be really helpful for having this kind of conversation for what you're really wrestling with underneath the surface that can be hard to get to if you were just going to do one-on-one with a person, but I'm stuck with where you, with what you said, does it work? Does it really only work if you believe in the magic? Because I could do it and it would be helpful, but I don't know if it would be as life changing as if I believed that the universe was giving me a sign that things were going to be okay. Yeah. Like I wouldn't put a lot of thought into that, but for someone that really may like change their life. So does the magic, does the placebo only work when you don't know it's a placebo? So then is it not available for secular people or yeah. is or is there enough there? That's my question. Yeah. I think it works exponentially better if you believe in it. I think it has the capability to believe or to work regardless. And you talk about the placebo effect the placebo effect is real. Like It's real. It works. Yes. If we give people pills and they think that they are other kinds of pills and they're just nothings, then people still have some sort of lasting effect by, by taking it and thinking it's the something that everyone else took. Um, okay. So here's, so here's then where I get stuck. If I were, if someone were to say to me, you know, their life was changed by this spiritual path, by this tarot work, 
um, and and the placebo and confirmation bias is like full in effect, right? And this path is just really working for them. I feel like if if you take that away from them and you say this is actually a placebo, it's like it. I don't know that that puts me in a tricky spot. It's like if someone had cancer and there were all these placebos that actually do make your body feel like it's getting better, maybe not cancer, something else a little bit more manageable. Um, does telling them that it's a placebo, is that, it, yeah, I don't I think, know, is that I helpful? think once you know, cause I think once you know, know. it's less yeah. effective, it's if less not, effective. if not entirely ineffective. So I feel like you have to be careful in this space because if you take, I mean, we're all just these kind of struggling, suffering humans. And if someone is really blossoming in their spirituality, but there's just a lot of placebo there, it may be irresponsible to take that from someone without replacing it with something better. And I do think that there are things that are better, but it, without replacing it with something better it's like you're just leaving person without any placebo medication at all yeah and i feel that way a little bit about religion too mm -hmm. yeah it's the same idea suffer yeah right if you you should never pull the rug out from someone without also having something else to give them as you're pointing out and so we're often talking about like should we should we try to push somebody into a faith crisis and the answer is no um, yeah. we should always be kind and supportive and make information available, but really let people do those kinds of things on their own time. It is not good for somebody to jump into an existential crisis without any sort of support system yeah. and answers right behind it. I think I changed my mind about this. I think I used to be more just because I can get in my headspace. I used to be more like Christopher Hitchens, who's like my hero. And I'm just going to like, I'm just going to shove this truth down your throat because I know that I'm right about this. Mm. And then I had a friend who um, really maybe wasn't quite ready for a faith crisis. And it wasn't me in particular, but, you know, it kind of came down on him and he um, attempted suicide. And that was really, it kind of took me back like, whoa, like I can't be doing this irresponsibly. Anyway, so I do think that the, when someone says, is tarot real, I do think that there's a part of it that's real, right? So these are these are archetypes. There's lots of, um, you know, union ar archetypes that are going on. These are all aspects of our inner personality. When you put out a card, your subconscious fills it with meaning. You can talk about it. You can make sense of it. You can say truths that you hadn't yet said to yourself. Um, and you can go out and will your life improve? Um, I think so. Uh, but, but I don't think that there, yeah, I don't think that there's any magic there. I think that that's all happening at the level of the brain. So it's similar to me, like we've, I've done, I'm sure you've done like imaginative meditations, right? Where you imagine your, um, I've done, a, I've done a, a meditations where I imagine that I'm a tree and what kind of tree am I and what does it mean? And, and each person kind of their tree was different for different symbolic reasons. And that's totally imaginative, right? You're turning your kind of logic brain off. Koans do this too. You know, you're kind of just turning off your logic brain in order for your intuition and your subconscious to have a voice. And I do these things all the time. I think 
the the safety for me though is knowing that this is all still happening at the level of the brain um but it can still be extremely helpful and i'm okay with all of that imaginative stuff and reading harry potter and watching lord of the rings and doing a little tarot night with some girlfriends i'm okay with all of that as long as i can say i still believe this is happening at the level of the brain yeah and somebody here you know i Corumbus says sounds like the way the church justifies keeping truth from people i don't know to me but like me mm-hmm. and i'll say there is a difference which is i think if somebody if somebody asks or if i'm in a space where something woo is going on um generally some sort of space is there for me to share my two cents if it's not then that's a whole other story but if there's space for me to talk, then I may go like, yeah, you know, I'm kind of a skeptic. I don't, I don't know that I buy into these things, but I'm not going to tear it down. I'm not going to go like, listen to me, like what you're doing is not true. And here's why. And I just wouldn't yeah. do that. That seems rude. And well, so and I would, I would of- destroy all, I could do that. Like there are many relationships where I could just say, can't you see that? Like you are just drinking the Kool-Aid or whatever. And I would one destroy the relationship. Right. And then two, why would they even want to, how would that even further my cause of, yeah. I'm, I'm, my cause is I want to do spirituality better. That's what we're doing here. You and I, yeah. we're trying to do spirituality better. How would we even be modeling that if we pull out people's belief systems and make them feel stupid and shamed, and then we don't replace it with anything and then they feel lost. I mean, that's not, that's not even helping the cause that I want, which is yeah. to do spirituality better. So it's tough. It's a tough one. Um, so yeah. So when someone says, you know, tarot is real. It's, it's, it's changed my life. I see the patterns and it's helped me. I a hundred percent believe that. I just wish we could do it without the magic because the yeah. magic just makes me just say, Oh, now I can't do this with you because if you want to do the science to, to even try to do the science of how the universe spins in just such a way that you shuffle these cards and turn this card over. Woof. That is a, that is a big hurdle. Yeah. <laughs> No, no, I'm entirely with you. But as we're saying, if you don't believe it's magic, then it loses its magic. It, it is magic as long as you think it's magic. Yeah, which is tough. So I just think it's one of those things where like, yes, you're having a, a, a conversation with your subconscious. Yes, those can be life changing and helpful. But there's got to be better ways to do this without having to do the magic. So I actually have here. I wanted to show you. I bought some archetype cards. They're so not these even are tarot. tarot cards. These aren't tarot. Yeah, these aren't the typical tarot cards. These are tarot cards, but they use the Jungian archetypes, which I feel a lot more comfortable with. Because someone, uh, someone mentioned this, and I just wanted to try it. You know, I'm in the spiritual world. I want to try what people are doing. I want to expand my skill set. And so there's these cards. I'll show the people who are watching like this. And what people, the the person that I really um, trust who actually uses this as a spiritual path um, will pick a card every day and use it just kind of as a check-in, right? And so this card says addict. And you'd ask yourself, you know, what thing uh, am I using in order to escape a relationship or a feeling that I don't want to have? You know, that's a good conversation to have with yourself. The next one's like advocate. How do I um, better advocate for my uh, the things that I believe in? What in my life is needing my attention and energy? Or the shadow side to that would be what am I pretending to advocate for that I'm not actually really doing anything about? 
-hmm. And so like when I pull that instantly, my subconscious says, Hey, you know, all that stuff you put on Facebook about gun stuff, you're not actually really doing anything. You should probably maybe do something more about it. Right. My subconscious just like filled in this card. Right. Mm -hmm. And like, she just pulls one every day and has a little conversation, a little, you know, come to Jesus meeting as it were. You know, Jesus, but. And I think there are ways, you know, when we did the hero's journey, there are, you know, there's the martyr, there's the hero, there's the, you know, there, there are all these archetypes that are even beyond like tarot archetypes. And as T.O. saying here, like when we understand the roles that all of us take on at various points in our life, moment to moment, we can better connect with what those are and what's going on in our life at that time. Yeah. So I think it's a great way to do it. So here's a question. There's this class I, I do follow. I have I have quite a bit of Jungian um, study under my belt, but there's this class where they teach you how to do how to do kind of readings in a completely non-magic Jungian archetype way, right? And I've thought about um, you know paying the money and taking the class. But here's my thing: if you were I, I don't think anyone wants someone not magical doing it. So I don't even think I would be serving anyone. Maybe I'm wrong. But my thought, my initial thought is uh, if you, if you don't, uh, if I don't kind of do it in this magical way and it loses its magic, you won't want to do a tarot reading from me. And then because, and then people who are skeptical won't want it from me because if I just even put up their Jungian tarot reading, if I put that up on my website, like all of a sudden now, you know, a skeptic would be like, well, she's too good mm. for me. And so I really think even though this is, this could be helpful for some people, it could be a skill that I could even um, cultivate more. Um, I don't think that it serves anyone because the skeptics are too afraid of it. And the people who are kind of into the magical woo, I'm not the person for you because I'm not in the magic. So is anyone doing it in that middle ground? I don't think so. No, I don't think so. you'd almost have to change the name of it. Instead of being a tarot reading, it would have to be an archetype discussion or something yes, like that. Yes, yes. You'd have to change it or else like, or else it's one of these two sides, right? Yeah. So it's, it's, it's a tough one. It's a tough one. Yeah. So let's move hmm. into... Um, unless you had anything else, let's move into like horoscopes and astrology, because I think this is one where you're a little bit more open-minded than I am. So uh, let's go into this. It, maybe not recent, but at one time, yes. Um, mm. So yeah, yeah. Run, run us through what your thoughts are and then I'll, I'll jump in. Yeah. So this to me is less helpful than um, a tarot reading. A, a tarot reading, I really think your, your subconscious is filling in something like, like my subconscious just did when I pulled the advocate card, my subconscious was like, Hey, you talked a lot of stuff about gun control. You're not really doing anything. Um, that's, that was an important little piece of information to tell myself, but for horoscope, I think there's even like less going on that is, um, meaningful because it just doesn't do a lot of shadow work. It does to me, it, you know, your astrology is never going to really face you with your shadow because there's always just some way to make the universe about you. So something like the planet Mercury is in retrograde, which you hear a lot from woo-woo people. That's too bad it's for like Mercury. Where, yeah. It's like where the planet Mercury is and whatever. What happens during that time, during that month, is that you're going to be liable to forget things 
you're going to like text your ex and do things that you'll regret. And, you know, you're kind of just going to be a little spacey and things are just not going to like align well. And it's like, we are humans living in entropy. Like that will be true of any period of time in any time of your life. Right. So to me, this is just complete confirmation bias. Uh, and the zodiac signs, like I've read a thousand things on Leo that people send me like, oh, just give me your exact time and I'll get, and it's like nothing like me. And I'm just not a fan of it. But the interesting thing is that because religion is fading in America and we're not replacing it with anything better in the secular world yet, we're trying, it's not there yet. Um, this is actually more popular with the kids than with the adults. So 60% uh, of people think that astrology is not scientific, but 54% for those 18 to 25. Um, and then 37% of women and 20% of men believe in astrology, much higher, almost double for women. Um, and so some people say, well, this is harmless. Like why go after horoscopes? And that's true. I will give them that, that horoscope, spiritual path, there's no crusades, there's no inquisition, there's no, you know, there's not a lot going on. But I do think eventually you do come into, when you have to come into contact with reality in some way, there's still a cost for doing astrology. And one of those that I bring up is people don't know how much Ronald Reagan was influenced by his astrologer, his wife, really, his wife's astrologer. And uh, she timed all the press conferences, all the speeches, the State of the Union address, takeoffs for, and landings for Air Force One had to be like run through the astrologist, all the trips, all the excursions. And so Nancy Reagan said, I was doing everything I could to protect my husband and to keep him alive. And so this became like a ritual for her because she was so scared about him being president that everything had to go through the astrologer. And so she claimed to have the ability to see everything in his charts. Her name was Joan Quigley. And the interesting thing is she was interviewed later and they asked her of all those charts, why didn't you see the assassination attempt? And she says, I could have, I could have predicted the assassination attempt in uh, 1981. If I had drawn up his charts, I could have predicted it. It was so obvious, but I was doing other things at the time. And it was like, <laughs> so that to me is like, when you get wrapped up into this, when you get too into this path, and then all of a sudden, like, you know, there's an assassination attempt and, you, oh, you know, I, I, it was so obvious in the cards, but I was just, you know, I was busy doing other things. I wasn't looking at his maps. And that to me is just, okay, we've left reality here. We need to come a little bit closer to, to reality. So I'm actually pretty, I'm much more harsh on horoscopes than I am on tarot um, and other things that I see something a little bit more meaty underneath it. Horoscopes is really difficult for me. I, I, I watched this debate. It was like, it was astronomers and astrologers debating and it made me want to like blow my brains out. So this one is hard for me. I you've have... had better experiences with this. <clears throat> yeah. In fact, I'll put it up here on the screen. Let me, uh, let me pull this off. 
and we'll add this in. So this is the site that uh, my wife and I and a bunch of friends used about maybe two years ago, three years ago. And, uh, you know, you got to put not just your birth date, but you got to have the time you were born to, right? <clears throat> and here's what happened. A good, a common friend of ours, Gina Colvin, came out here to Southern Utah and Gina did this thing where she said, okay, tell me your birth date. Tell me what time of day you're born and I'll tell you about you. And she did it and she tells me, you know, my personality based on this chart. She nailed it. It was, it was by far, it was me. And as I was sitting around a table with four or five other people, that description described me as me better than it would have described another person at that table. So then she proceeded to go to the next person and then the next person and every single one, it was like, damn, that definitely describes you. That wouldn't have been a good description for me. It, it nailed it. It was like six out of six. And um, I went home and my wife and I plugged each of our kids in. We got four children and each one of them, it described our kid better as them than it did any of the other children of ours. And it was apparent to me that regardless of whether it works or doesn't work, even if it's just a coincidence, it had nailed it like eight out of eight times or nine out of nine times. And um, from there, I'm like, damn, nine out of nine, you know, even the skeptic in me is feeling like there's some, some surety to this. And I know other people who are really big into astrology. My wife still is really big into like, what sign are you? Oh, you tend to be, you know, you tend to be this kind of personality versus that kind of personality. And the way I would reason it out is I would make this argument in my head that the universe has been peopling the planet for, you know, hundreds of thousands of years. And we need certain personality types for a society to function and to support each other. And so the, the voodoo or the, what's the pseudoscience inside my head would make the argument that the universe had worked out a way to ensure that those personality types were balanced based on when you were born, gravitational pull from the moon to the earth. Again, I, I realized like there's no science there other than I could make the argument in my head and go like, man, logically I could get behind how the universe would create these nine Enneagram types, for instance. And, and so what happened was I started to feel like, okay, maybe is there something to astrology? I, I then put it online, said, okay, I've got my nine out of nine. Let's see if this works in a, a larger group of study. And as I presented it to folks, I was presented with the opposite evidence, which is suddenly now I'm doing a pool of a hundred people and only 30 of them think it matches them really well. And so since that time, I have, uh, I, I wouldn't say I, I don't, I'm not going to say I don't believe it, but I also don't believe it. Like I, I put it up on the shelf and essentially said mm. like, this probably isn't true, but I'm not going to go out and hunt this yeah. thing down. It maybe no, it turns yeah. out. That's fair. I have things, you know, you, when you're in religion, you have things on your shelf and when you're in post-religion, you still have things on your shelf. The, the, the universe is fundamentally mysterious. I have things on my shelf. So that's, that's, that's fair. I can get there. Um, for me, the things that get brought in, you know, because we do have personality types. We obviously do have um, some evolutionary way to get different personalities for the benefit of the tribe how you connect that science to like what's going on with jupiter this week is like pretty difficult for me to to, to get behind 
And I think the way that the way that it was done with me when I went and did a horoscope night uh, where I had like my birth time and I had like my rising whatever is that it was like kind of a list of like these are your personality traits. And then the the guide kind of said something like just read through it and just kind of highlight what resonates with you, like what's resonating with you right now. And so that to me, as soon as she said that, I said, ah, there it is there's where the magic is. Because if you read a two page list of your personality type with the intent of what is it here that resonates with me, you're going to find a number of things, even profound things. And so I was, you know, highlighting a few things. These, these resonate with me. These don't. And, and, um, and then it was just kind of clear to me at the time for someone, it was like, wow, this was totally me. And for me, it was like, oh, if I'm only looking at this with what I resonate with, then I'm setting this up for some confirmation bias. And so I actually went to town with Gina and I said, Gina, let's, I just need to talk with this out with you because you've told the story to me before, Bill. So I go to Gina and I have it out with her. And by the end of this conversation, um, a lot, some of it was on, some of it was online and public and people were watching by the end of this conversation, she said, Oh, this is just where I go to play. So she eventually really backed off on any kind of scientific claims about the nature of reality and planets and this kind of thing. She said, this is where I just go to play. And my problem with that is that I can understand people playing with it for fun or playing with <laughs> it, you know, on a girl's night. But people really do like go into relationships thinking you're a water sign and I'm an earth sign and we can't, we're not going to, you know, we're not going to get along well, or this sign gets along with this sign. And so I think, I think this relationship, like, it's not just play for people. People really use this as the kind of center of how they see the world. And I think that that just gets too problematic because at some point reality is going to like, like with um, Ronald Reagan, like reality is going to eventually, I think, come into conflict with this playground. Mm -hmm. And that's where it breaks down for me. Yeah. The, the time, again, people can play around with this. Again, I'm not suggesting it works, but it is, I think it's a fun place to spend an hour of your day. And uh, you got to put the time of birth. That makes such a huge difference. If you were born at 6 p.m. and you put 6 a.m., it's going to make a, a world of difference in what the results are. Now, whether the results match or not, you can decide that for yourself. Um, folks, you know, I was in this like two-month spiel where I was like, all right, maybe astrology works. And I, I found it interesting that you're like, hey, Bill, maybe we're in different places here. Because of that past moment, I'm going to be held accountable to believing in astrology till the end. Now, my wife is much bigger on this. You meet her. She'll want to know what sign you are. She'll try to figure yeah. out, you know, she, she does have that play out in her conversations with folks. And I, um, there's actually a reason why women on any of these are going to show up higher than men, but particularly horoscopes, <clears throat> why, why it's a double, why is it double the women? Some of these, it'll be triple the women are in these spaces versus men. And so uh, for women, so women, the corpus callosum that uh, that pulls the right and left side of your brain together is thicker 
in women than men. We have more kind of super highway going on with women, which is why uh, our emotions and our gut feelings um, being a part of our decision-making process, you see that more with women. That's not just because of how we were socially raised. There's a biological basis for that. Um, so women are, be, you know, because of, for evolutionary reasons, we had to be much more sensitive to our environment, especially as we're raising children. Um, we're more psychologically in touch with our emotions and our hunches and our intuitions. And um, men have a thinner corpus callosum, so they are more compartmentalized in their thinking and less able to move back and forth between intuition and logic more easily. So, so it makes sense to me that there's more women in these spaces just because this is an incredibly intuitive space. And there's nothing wrong with that. Being intuitive and being in touch with your subconscious, having these deep inner conversations with yourself, um, there's nothing, you know, that that doesn't put women as less than men. This is a, a superpower if you can be really good at really being in touch with yourself. Um, but I do think that women sometimes get swept up into the magic of it to the point where um, it hurts the it hurts what they're doing as a whole because they're saying things to scientists that scientists can't possibly get behind, right? Yeah. Yeah, no, totally get it. Um it, I think in the same way that we talk about like the Enneagram being useful, I think often people will go, this is the same, you know, the same kind of thing. Astrology and the Enneagram are just two different ways to understand each of our personalities. And by the way, I have zero um, space for me to go to like the back of a reader's digest and read what my next month's horoscope is going to be. You know, I'm going to have good luck or bad luck, or this is going to happen or that look for an opportunity. Like every month we have an opportunity. Right. So, but this birth thing, again, I'll, I'll, I'll put it on the shelf, but I will say this, the, the Enneagram that we covered a few weeks ago, I think is completely different in that you have to take a test on the front end to indicate already by your answers, what sort of personality you are. And so when it's done, it's all it's doing is taking those answers and then saying like, yes, like by the way you answered this survey, um, we can kind of narrow you down to being in this kind of a personality type. And um, I, I think that's a very different kind of useful. The only, the only downside, I think, to the Enneagram, for instance, we can get back on track after this, but the one downside to the Enneagram is sometimes people will test ambiguously across multiple personality types. Like my wife, for instance, every time she takes the test, she seems to kind of be somewhere in like three or four of the numbers pretty evenly. Whereas mm -hmm. I'm an eight mm -hmm. and there's no if, ands, or buts about it. Um, but I do think the Enneagram is something very different than the other things that we're talking about today. Um, yeah, anyway. Yeah. I think what we're doing here is really... In fact, it would be really fun to do this. I should have given you before this. We're kind of, we have all these spiritual tools and they actually really do help people. And we're trying to like rank them as far as like, this seems to be the most safe, uh, most helpful way to get at this tool, right? So Enneagram to me is a little bit higher than horoscope because there's just to me a lot more meat there and a lot less, um, you know, confirmation bias because you are taking a test. Although the test is only as helpful as how intuitive you are, I think 
you know, the first time I took it was different than the second time I took it when I had a professional one. Uh, cause I think I was a little bit more honest with myself, but so I, I think, you know, all these tools can be helpful for people, but when you're talking about Ronald Reagan passing everything through the astrologist who couldn't see his assassination attempt, well, okay, maybe there's more helpful tools to help you feel like your life is ordered and safe and that you're doing what you want to do in life. Maybe there's a better, better tool for you. And that's where I'm at with horoscope. I'm not going to spend a lot of time fighting people on it because it's not a particularly bloody or, uh, you know, like, like some of the other, yeah. like some of the other spiritual paths. But, yeah. uh, I just, I just think that there's better, there's better tools out there. Yeah. And, and I agree with you. I, I, even for the folks who seem to make that a big passion of theirs, I think there are better things that we could do with our time. Yeah. Okay. So we have a big list here and these are going to be shorter now. Cause I think people kind of get where we're going. So this is going to be more just, what do you think about these things? So uh, I added this one just cause I saw this NPR story with UK water companies who were using dowsing rods to find pipes because water witching was still used by the people who were still trying to locate water or find pipes. So uh, thoughts about water, water witching, which actually comes up in Mormonism, which I find interesting that we're still talking about water witching today. Now people do this. Yeah. I'm guessing wherever you dig a hole in Palmyra, New York, you're going to find water. You're so close to major <laughs> bodies of water that um i think other than going like making an educated guess like okay here's a lower spot here's a higher spot you know this spot is 200 yards from the river this spot six miles from the river and is up at a higher altitude i think just educational guesses would end up being correct and i'll also say too a long time ago i don't remember when this was 20 years ago 30 years ago some guy came forward and put a million dollars or something up and said uh you know, I will put a million dollars up if anybody can prove that any of these certain practices and water witching was one of them. If any of these practices work, I will, if you can demonstrate it, I'll pay you money. And um, to this day, that million bucks on whatever his list was, which included water witching, that million bucks has never been paid out. So to put a stick in my hand and that stick moves on its own and points at water, I don't buy that. I don't, I don't buy that. I, I, I think you dig a hole and more times than not, you find water unless you're digging here in Southern Utah. In that case, you won't find any water no matter where you dig. And uh, yeah, I just don't it. was buy interesting it. because it, they saw in all these modern water companies that people were still using dowsing rods and they received a lot of pushback for it. And then there was like this double blind test that concluded that most dowsers couldn't find a hidden pipe. Um, but here's the thing for me is that a lot of these things are built on this principle that we're trying to access what our intuition knows that we don't. Right. And that's real. Right. So, you know, I have this sliver of attention but my body and my eyes and my brain is taking in all of this information, right? All the time. And so we're people have always been using tools to how do I get at that information that is there, but it's just, it's not in my, this kind of narrow view of attention. And so to me, stuff like this is, you know, I just look at humans across history as, 
trying to use tools to get more information to be able to survive and make decisions and do all these things. So there was this study that showed that farmers could tell uh, like um, at a higher rate um, which chickens were female and which were male when they look th this kind of chicken they looked the same or whatever and it was really intuitive how they, they they couldn't explain the difference but they could just tell somehow and so i think some of this is like we're trying to get to our intuition um so maybe someone really does have an intuitive way uh of their body kind of talking back um by using some kind of medium to get there but uh, there's nothing magical going on other than just trying to get into our intuition. Like your subconscious, <clears throat> your subconscious is picking up some observable data something in, around you, yes. but that your conscious doesn't see it. Um, a thing that th yes. this reminds me of something very similar, remote viewing. Have you ever heard of that? Mm -mm. So remote viewing, it was really big, I think, back in like the 60s. Uh, the idea is that if you sat and meditated, you could see something far away that isn't in your natural sight. And so yeah. the uh, CIA. Would, that would be scrying, right? Scrying would be. Sort of, yes. Work for that. And so they were, they were uh, invested. The government was investigating this, I believe, in the 60s um, to see if it actually worked because it would be a great um, warfare weapon if somebody could in their brain figure out where weapon depots were or where the nuclear power uh, weapon plant is at, whatever yeah. it is. You're like, you're like 11 and stranger things. Yeah. So I don't know if you've watched that show. No, 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 no. What, what happened was when they tested this, they actually found that some people had the slightest ability to do this, but that it was so insignificant, it wouldn't be helpful. And to this day, again, I'll have to find the sources for that. I want to make sure I'm speaking correctly. But my 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 memory is that they said, for the most part, this doesn't work, but that there are a few people who have just a sliver of ability to do this, but that the ability was so insignificant, it wouldn't assist in government doing anything with it. And I always thought that was intriguing. Like, that makes no sense to me. Um, mm -hmm. And again, I could be when when you start talking again, I'm going to look it up and see if I'm way <laughs> off base. Um, yeah, but interesting. Anyway. That was actually the next one on our list was scrying, which doesn't. This one has been mostly debunked, right? So we see this mostly now in movies. So like, think of Gladriel and Lord of the Rings, or like the pig and Gla the Black Cauldron, or what you're talking about, trying to, or even uh, Joseph Smith, right? All of this, all of the occult, you can find almost all of it with Joseph Smith, too. He was very into magic. And, um, you know, trying to just be, have your consciousness be somewhere else and see what's going on and find find someone's lost item. So that one has mostly been debunked. I don't know any, prof I don't know anyone professionally doing that, but that was definitely something that was very believed was real for a long time in human history, much you know, for at least tens of thousands of years, that was considered something that humans could do that I think now has been completely debunked. Another one. Um, so let's do crystals. I think your wife does crystals. Does she not? No, no. I, we have no. friends who do that, but no. I, no. Oh, okay. We have so one where rock. Are you, at? you have one. Uh, we have one rock. So tell me. Yeah. Um, tell me where you're at with that. Yep. So we have a friend who does 
crystals and certain rocks. He's got a whole room. You would know this person, by the way, if I said his name. I know, I know who you're talking about. Okay. So he's got yeah. a whole room full of crystals and rocks. And when I, when I, when he showed it to us and he was really proud of it. And when he explained it to me, he said this, he goes, I don't think this works in the supernatural way that people who use crystals and rocks think it works rather for, you know, whatever it is, 2000 years, whatever it is, to whatever number of time people have been placing certain intentions and meanings in various crystals and rocks. So I have my whole room full of stuff here. And when I'm having a rough day or an argument with my wife, or I'm having a problem with my work, I'll come in here. I'll pick the appropriate rock that's assigned to help me in that situation. And I'll sit and I'll meditate with that rock. And he said, prior to this practice, whatever, um, whatever anxiety or anger or sadness or worry that I would have inside, it would sit and stew and I would have trouble getting past it for a day or two or three. He goes, since I started this practice, uh, I'm able to move through the thing that's going on inside of me within an hour or less. And he goes, so I don't believe it's supernatural, but I also think it works. And I think it's in the same yeah. way that tarot works, that when you yeah. practice it, it can help you. Like if you sit with a stone, you're also meditating. You're also being present. You're also redirecting your thoughts. You're redirecting your energy. Um, I don't think there has to be anything supernatural there for it to work. And so I, I honor his use of it and have no doubt, but that it works for him. Yeah, that I buy. I'm, I'm on board with that. If someone, and I know this person that you're talking about, if someone were to say that they use crystals for that purpose, um, I'm, I have no issue with that, that, that there, there's a lot of science behind that approach. In fact, when I, when I first had, uh, adopted my children and they were, they were young and there was three of them. And I kind of like my anxiety was just through the roof. So I went to therapy, um, to just like, get me on top of my anxiety. Like my body is just like, my nerves are freaking out. And so we did these long guided meditations in therapy. And when I did it, he gave me, um, a junior mint. And I, I haven't had to do this in a long time because, um, that situation worked itself out. They grew up a little bit. I was able to get some sleep. Um, but we did these guided meditations and we would do it with a junior mint in my mouth. So like a lot of, you know, it's a mint, it's a pretty strong uh, feeling in your mouth to, to have a strong mint uh, while you're doing deep breathing. And so whenever I would be at home then, and this is like a scientific thing, like he showed me the data of how this helps. This had helped people with addiction. Um, and so whenever I'm home and I felt like I was going to have a mental breakdown, right. But I couldn't do a long meditation session right there. I would take a junior mint, just take a couple of breaths, right. Just to help me. The junior mint helps me tap into that space that we were in when I was in his office doing hour long guided meditations. Right. And so in that way, it was a tool that helped me get there. So that's, I mean, that I did in a, you know, in a therapist's office. And that's not that different than that approach to crystals. You know, this crystal is when I need this and I need to process this or I'm feeling this emotion or whatever it is. And um, I know one person who has crystals who 
there's one especially for forgiveness because she had experienced a lot of trauma. And so every time this is a ritual and do rituals have a ton of science behind it and intentions and, and rituals and patterns, tons of science behind um, creating rituals and the power behind rituals. So, you know, if she needs to like let something go when someone's wronged her, she'll hold her crystal, which she's done a hundred times to forgive people. And it helps her process that out of her body. I do think that that's real, but it's just a rock, right? It's just a rock. Yeah. But there, if you, if you ritualize rocks, I have no issue with that. I just, there's very few people that I know who approach it that way, because usually when you meet crystal people, they'll tell you about an energy frequency and matching that energy frequency and their spirit guides. And then I just like, I'm done. Right. So I, I actually, that approach to crystals, I can get behind. I don't do it personally um, just because it's so easily, you know, in the crystal world, it so easily takes on that kind of magical view. But if you're using it, anything for a ritual to help you process something out of your body, scientifically, that works. It does. Yeah. And um, like I said, me and my wife have one rock. We When we were hanging out with our friends and they were talking about that. Um, in fact, I was going to try to find it here, what it looks like, because it's gorgeous. And we, we chose it for a completely different reason. So let me put, uh, let me put one of these up on the screen because it'll... It'll look like, let's see here. It looks like this. Let me um, get rid of brand. Mm -hmm. So it looks like, like that right there. And um, mm -hmm. what we did it's was pretty. we just walked around the rock store and we thought, here's what we're going to do. When, whenever we're having a hard time getting along, just in the middle of a fight, something going on, like we both took our time picking out the rock that we thought, like we both really fell in love with. And so now once in a great while, we'll get this rock. It sits on our nightstand. We'll get this rock out and just kind of sit with it. And it reminds us that there's a lot going on in our life and we really work together well and that we ought to figure out a way past whatever the moment is that's not going so good. And uh, on, on occasions when we've used it, it's been helpful. Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of times I walk into our bedroom and I just pick it up and look at it and just try to appreciate the gifts that both of us bring to the table. I want to show you. I want to show you one thing here. This is, um, these are my, look at that. See, uh, you're doing woo stuff. Yeah. It's, it's, it's not dissimilar. I mean, it's really the same concept here. Uh, it's not crystals, but these, uh, these beads are from the tomb of Rumi and my Sufi master gave this to me. And there's certain, there's a certain ritual you do when you do um, a Sufi meditation and you kind of count these beads as you go. And there's a certain kind of chanting and ritual and just holding something and doing it and doing it over and over. When I grab them, I remember that space. I remember that calm space and I can just tap into it a lot easier, right? There's not that much difference between what I'm doing with this, you know, these kind of prayer meditation beads and someone holding a crystal that helps them tap into whatever they need to process. I'm okay with that. I just meet so few, you know, so few people who, who do it with that approach. Usually there's some woo woo science that they try to put on me and right. that's when I turn up. And then I'm the same with incense and I'm assuming you are too. So some people really like use incense as a part and and that's powerful you know the mint in my mouth and having that experience uh, when i'm in a guided meditation that's not that much different than someone lighting a certain kind of smell for a certain kind of experience that they want to have and smell is a great way to like tap into the memory of whatever you do with that smell right 
these are good rituals. We just have to be really wary of it's it's like in religion, you know, religion has all these good ideas and good things, and then there's just a lot of crap that's been like associate like attached to it. And you just in, in the post-religious world, you have to do that with spirituality too. You have to say, okay, this is the good thing. This is the thing that scientifically shows it really helps you to do whatever you're trying to do. And then this is like the stuff that's attached that's like, uh, I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah, we'll put incense in the house just to add a different like good yeah, smell. I have one up here that's my yeah. incense thing yeah the but i also have copd so incense isn't the best thing to have around when you know that that seems to make my breathing more difficult but oh, i, I don't i don't believe it's magical but i think that adding a more grounded smell to the home can put us into a different state of mind mm, yeah so let's do divination so part of part of tarot and part of um any of this stuff is is try we're always trying to glimpse the future have knowledge of the future and i think with divination as soon as someone says like we're glimpsing into where the universe is going or what's happening or seeing into the future i think that just has to be like an instant no i think sometime in human history like maybe 500 years from now for someone to say i glimpse something in the future this is going to happen I think we all as society just have to instantly say no. Like historically, no one has been good at this. We can barely make sense of what we see in front of us. Um, and it's my, be it's my beef with Christianity is that you believe for 2000 years that Jesus is coming in every generation since Jesus, since Jesus. So for 2000 years, believing that Jesus will come, right? And the pro the reason that I have a problem with this belief, because I have most of my friends and family believe that Jesus is coming and that he's going to fix everything, is that you never have to kind of face reality if you believe that Jesus is coming to clean it up. That's my so I have a huge beef with divination. Part of it is because I'm so annoyed with Christianity, because every time you try to get something done in the world, you know, Christians should they're just not on board the same way because they truly believe Jesus is coming to fix it all. And I just need to be um, on the right side with Jesus and I'm not going to worry about this other thing. So that one to me is a no. Yeah. So um, clairvoyance, would this fall into kind of the deja vu thing? Like we experienced deja vu and. Yeah. So clairvoyance is different. So that's the claimed ability to get information about an object, person, location through extrasensory perception. Yeah. That to me, there's a little bit, there's more there than, than divination, which is, which is just any kind of future telling, any kind of like, like future telling, palm reading, uh, yeah. where that's the purpose. Like, I think, I think we eventually as a human society just have to say instant no, like instant no. Yeah. But clairvoyance, it, again, clairvoyance is one of those things where we're tapping into uh, that people, some people really do have more access to their intuitive uh, information than others. Maybe, maybe there's, you know, but not, not uh, in any real not in any real, like, I, I know your card kind of way. But I do think that some people are more intuitive than others. So there's maybe something there. 
you didn't have uh, deja vu up here. It, it for most people, deja vu is I like it's it, it's like you kind of feel like you've been in this moment, but it's kind of foggy, right? Now let me share a little story with you, and we'll go off track here for a moment. Um, my wife and I went to go see the Four Feathers in the theater right when it came out. It's a Heath Ledger movie. And my wife and I go sit in the theater and you can, you know, you can ask her about this. Um, as the movie starts to play, as soon as something looked familiar, I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. I dreamed this movie before. And so I remember being a kid and having this dream. And so I start telling my wife, I'm like, here's what's going to happen next. Here's what's going to happen. He's a Heath Ledger is a slave with a bunch of other slaves. He ends up faking his death. He has to do this mundane thing underground he ends up faking his death and they end up taking his body out to a bunch of other bodies, but he just took some pill that slowed his heart down. Anyway, at every step, there's like seven or eight places where I'm like, Hey baby, this is what's going to happen next. This is what's going to happen next. Oh, I remember this part. Like it was, it was one after the other. And um, my wife goes like, that's the weirdest thing. This is the first time we've ever seen this movie. How do you know what's about to happen? Now there was an original movie that came out in 1939 it's possible that as a young little kid, I saw the black and white version of the movie and somehow attributed that to being a dream. It, other than that explanation, other than that one, I, I can't explain it because I, I experienced this movie in real time, first time seeing it. And I'm telling my wife what's going to happen next at multiple points in the movie. And um, she was flabbergasted and, and she can tell the story too. I don't know what to do with that. Like sometimes things happen and they can't be explained. It doesn't mean it works. Sometimes there's other explanations, just that, just that things don't always, sometimes coincidences happen that seem really strange. Anyway, I don't know. Yeah. There's me. I, I have two things. Yeah, no, I have two things there. And this is one where like, you know, we're, we're talking openly and honestly now about, uh, things that are fundamentally mysterious. So when we talk, when we're, when you and I are talking about religion, like we can get on our high horse about, you know, what's really going on here. Right. We've, we've seen behind the curtain and we can talk pretty authoritatively, but oh, this yeah. is where both of us, you know, there's, there's stuff on the shelf, you, you know, even for people like you and me, especially for people like you and me, because we're, we're trying to figure out what's really going on here. And there's a lot of things that are really fundamentally mysterious. So for deja vu, which is when you walk into the room and you feel like you've walked into that room in that exact way before, that is your right brain or the right side of your brain brain playing that moment for the left side of your brain and it being a little bit off. So that feeling we know we have a we have a total brain explanation for what's going on when you're like, I feel like I was just I just did that or I feel like I've been in this exact moment before. It's this weird kind of um, miscommunication between the right and left sides of your brain. But what you're talking about is something far deeper. That's that's on my shelf. I just call it fundamentally mysterious. Uh, even Sam Harris one time when someone asked him, has anything, is anything on your shelf? And he, he had an experience like that where he had a dream where he saw a teacher, like, a, like a, when he went to India or whatever, a guru guide or teacher in a dream before he met him. Now there's a, 
there's a lot of ways you could try to explain that. But to him, it was on his shelf. That was very, that was very mysterious to him. And for, um, I'll have to look this up, but for Carl Jung uh, and the golden scarab, uh, he had a, yeah, he had this coincidence um, and he spent the rest of his life trying to figure it out. So it's, they're called synchronicities where, um, so for him, you know, he had this image of this golden beetle that appeared in a parent's dream, a patient's dream. And then when she told Jung about it in his office, um, a golden scarab appeared um, on his window. And so it was this weird moment of she had the dream, she's explaining it. There's this like golden beetle. And at that moment that she's explaining it, a golden beetle lands on the window he, he's never seen one like it and he calls it a synchronicity and he he really thought it was um he tried for the rest of his life to make sense of it and he never yeah. did and yeah. in his journals at the end of his life he's just like i i don't know i don't know if it's just there are millions of things going on all the time and as humans we only see the things that are patterns and we create patterns and our brain creates patterns or if there's we're so interconnected that it's just we're just kind of uh it's like we're spiders on a web all the time and so we'll get these synchronicities and these intuitions and things like that but he tried to explain it and he never really could. And I'm okay just saying that there's a lot of things about life that are fundamentally mysterious, like your dream. Cool. I'm okay just putting that on the shelf. Yeah. I it's like weird. It. It's no, weird. it's good because we're we're saying essentially of all these things, we're saying like, look, we're skeptical. These don't seem to work by supernatural means. And once in a while, something happens that gives us pause and maybe we yeah. can't quite resolve it. I remember when we were about to adopt our last our last daughter, I was on the fence about adopting one more. And my husband, he has actually really, um, and in his family, uh, quite spiritual dreams. I think it's one of the ways that uh, his intuition talks to him. But he woke up from the stream like this and he said, I, I saw her, you know, we didn't know if it was a boy or girl yet, this birth bomb. I saw her, she's a girl, I saw her face, I know what she looks like, her name is Florence. And then we, you know, a couple of weeks later, we find out that it's a girl. And, you know, it could, it could, maybe that was just a 50-50 chance. But that was a really, you know, for him, a really powerful experience that made him want to make sure that this child was in our family. And I, to me, that's on my shelf. I have no it was real to him. I saw, I saw him, you know, wake up out of the dream like that. And so synchronicities I've studied quite a bit because Carl Jung was so, um, he really tried to make sense of it and he never could. And, and we just have to kind of admit that we don't really know what's going on with those. It could be, it could be that we only notice patterns. It could be something more that we don't understand. Um, I tend towards the pattern thing more, but I don't have explanations for everything. I don't, when someone says some is spiritual experience or some synchronicity or some dream, I don't always have an explanation on how that could happen. And so that's on my shelf. Mm, cool stuff. All right. So let's do, so exorcism, taking the evil spirit out of people. Um, the interesting thing is that Benjamin Franklin who was a skeptic. And at the time, even now you can't uh, openly be a skeptic. 
um, and not believe in in God and have public office. So I would say Benjamin Franklin, Thomas Jefferson, a couple of the other ones um, were actually really skeptics. But publicly, you can't ever say that in America still today. You can't say that. But he did these placebo controlled experiments to see um, if people who claim to know when the devil was in something or someone um, was really doing anything. And he debunked he debunked it. And psychology has done this many times. But there are people still today that do exorcisms that take the evil spirit out of people that will walk into a home and say there's evil spirits here and this happened and this energy is here and so i'll do this and that to try to get them out um this that's still that's still common enough to be on television like common enough that that uh, people's jobs are still to do that so that's surprising to me that that's still going and some of what these folks report back is otherworldly right like when these exorcists, like especially like, you know, the, the Roman Catholic Church is still known for having very prominent exorcists. And um, it becomes it becomes really, I don't know, either either the per in my mind, as I read the stories of what they're saying, they've encountered and experienced, either they're lying or it's real. And I can't come up with any other answer than that because of the things that the way they describe what happened. Persons picked up off the bed, the... Uh, this happened to me. This got thrown across the room. Like, I don't have another way to reconcile it other than they're lying or crazy or they're telling the truth and that's what happened. And it's it's really difficult in those moments where we have only those three options and we don't believe it's real. Um, yeah. But to I don't me, believe it's real. I put this in. Yeah. To me, I put this in the dark side of imagination. So humans we just we know that when we see the world we're not just seeing a blank page that we are processing it and then it's putting it onto what we see so that's yeah. going on at the same time so when i look at like i'm looking at a word on a page i can't turn off reading it like my brain reads it as i'm seeing it at the same time right i'm processing and seeing it at the same time so we're highly imaginative and you know, we also, it's like one in a hundred people have something schizophrenia or something like it. And so we just have this huge part of our brain that is imaginative that can actually project onto the world what we're imagining. So to me, mm. I just put this on, this is the dark side of imagination that you can begin to see uh, and certain feelings means that there's an evil spirit here. You know, this is, this is the dark side of imagination where I really truly believe that for a lot of these people um what they're experiencing is real to them like they really feel there's something there's the devil is there because yeah. that's how their brain is mapping what they're seeing in real time yeah and um i remember once as a mormon bishop being called to cast out an evil spirit from a sister you in our war. Mm -hmm. And when I got there, I'll tell you for the first 20, 25 minutes, I'm in, I'm in this believing mindset, right? Like I am in this, in this, I see through this lens. So I bought into it and there were certain things that I saw. Her eyes seemed to be like solid black. And um, there were things I was perceiving or at least thought I was perceiving that fed into the story. By the time we're done, we're there an hour or so. By the time we're done, 
I had changed my mind and was convinced that she suffered from mental illness. And um, so, you know, just to note that sometimes things look like it's something and then maybe with more time, more thought, more experience, more information, we end up moving away from the supernatural to something much more secular in terms of explaining it. Yeah. And I think that goes to what we talk about on this podcast a lot, which is that we're trying to have an objective conversation about subjective experience. So when yeah. a person is schizophrenic and they see butterflies, I a hundred percent believe that they see butterflies and, but I'm, but the butterflies aren't there. And so we're trying to have an objective conversation about you see butterflies because you believe in God, because you believe this works because so when you're in the experience, when you're seeing the butterflies, when you're doing the tarot reading, when you see evil spirits, I, I think that people are doing that honestly. I, yeah. I think that that's how they're experience, that's their subjective experience. But we're trying for the, really the first time in human conversation, since we have access to all of the religions and all of the spirituality, we're trying to figure out what's going on. We're trying to have an objective conversation about what's really going on. Yeah. Um, which is to tell the schizophrenic person that you're seeing butterflies because your brain works this way. Yeah. So let's do a couple more. I know we're wrapping up on time. So let's do Reiki. Have, do you have any experience with this? No. Kind of energy nope, healing. Mm -mm. So, so this is one. So you go in and, and they don't touch you. So they just kind of, they just put their hand over you like this right here. And um, it's, and it sh there's some evidence that shows that it can help with um, your physical and emotional health. It improves your well-being, right? Um, but what it is, is a, it's really a form of guided meditation. So you're in there with someone and, you know, they'll say something like, you know, I, I unblocked this energy and this and that. But but Reiki, Reiki to me is just this, any, anyone who does kind of energy healing work, uh which energy that word energy or frequency those are always like red flags to me because i know i'm going to be taken somewhere <laughs> woo um but reiki to me is a form of guided meditation and so just sitting with someone and talking out some talking out something and having them be over their body especially as where these where these primates that just want physical touch and we we want presence with people and getting into a deep meditative space in that in that place, does that help and give you greater well-being? Yeah, but there's nothing magical about their hands and about unblocking energy to me. That's the all the benefits seem to be consistent with what you would experience in a deep meditative state. So I did, I did experience, um, in chiropractics, I've known chiropractors. One of these I knew really well. He was our ward clerk back in our, my home ward in Ohio. And he could take, if he, if he touched you from one side down to the other versus touching you at the other end and starting the other way, your arm would have more strength to it to lift up or down. So I do think because our bodies operate on electrical current, I think there may be, again, I'm not convinced, but at least the way he did it, he would work on horses. He would work on wrestling teams and his, the wrestling teams he helped with always did better than the wrestling teams that didn't have such a practice. Um, people seem to heal faster from injuries. 
and what he would do is he had ways to know like yeah you your the the energy in your body is blocked not running the right direction whatever it is and it worked like i don't know how to explain it but i was stronger or weaker based on which direction now it could be subliminal subconscious it could be some sort of subliminal messaging i mean who knows but it did seem to work and i watched it and participated in those acts he would do that showed that it did seem to function. So I don't, again, I think there's room to go. The human body has processes and things that are going on that the, just in our normal understanding of the world don't make sense, but that there's something real and it doesn't have to be supernatural or magic for it to be the case. Yeah. There's a pretty wide spectrum there and I don't claim to be an expert uh, I don't claim to be an expert in this space, but to me, there's like, um, you know, there, there's, for example, there's yoga practitioners who do yoga with trauma patients, right? So you are working through something mentally as you're working with their body. Is that scientific? Is that real? hundred percent, right? hundred percent. We know the body keeps score. We know that we process things through our body. We know that, um, uh, especially if it's sexual trauma, doing certain poses and talking through that and processing it out can actually really change, um, you know, your trauma response and your PTSD and all that kind of thing. So I see, I see a pretty big spectrum. So on the one hand you have, you know, therapeutic massages and you have, um, people who are working with your body and your brain at the same time. And I think that there's an extraordinary power there. I think that the people who are practitioners in that space really can change lives and improve people's anxiety and PTSD and, and trauma and all those things. And then on the other side of the spectrum, we have like something like the body code, which is this idea that like, I, I know people, people in my family, that they'll walk into a store and they'll pick up like they'll pick up this is like magnesium and if my it, it enters into my energy field and if my body wants it it'll like it'll like be a strong there'll be a strong you know like it'll go like this but if it if it do, if it doesn't want it if it doesn't want it it'll kind of block your fingers from separating if it wants it then you'll go like this and it's like it's like playing with your body and the energy and what medicines it wants in the store and all that kind of stuff. So to me, there's just like, there's just a really wide spectrum between we know the body keeps score. We know that there's a lot of power there. We know even for instance, two people coming and laying hands on your head. I don't believe there's any priesthood going on, but for primates to come over and put your hands on my body and wish me well, does it do something? I think it does. And we know people um, have really but there's serious a spectrum there. And we know people have really serious medical conditions that are simply based on mental experiences. Like in other words, you know, somebody their, their back is constantly hurting or they constantly have some sort of skin irritation. And at some point, some of these folks arrive at the point that it didn't come from the, outside world that it was something internal that they just struggled with felt traumatized over and it's showing up in the physical world as an ailment um so again i, I just uh, maybe there's things we don't get and we still can say like it's not supernatural there's a natural thing happening but that you know 
maybe in another thousand years or something, we better understand some of this stuff. Anyway, yeah. I don't, I don't, yeah, you know, I don't, again, I don't know yeah. what's real or what isn't. Yeah, I do believe that there's a spectrum and that over time, especially with all the information that we're coming about, coming with stuff like the body keep score, that we'll be able to get body brain healing for people who are sick or unwell or for all of us. Um, but that it will be more within the realms of what we know from science rather than having to go to someone who um, is bringing out your third eye and uh, spraying you with some special magical spray and then a laser for a certain energy frequency and, and things that are just really hard to, for me to get behind. <laughs> All right. So I have two last ones that we'll do. So okay. we kn both know people who are witches and this is one where I changed my mind. So I would say that uh, maybe a couple years ago, I would have said completely woo woo. So stupid. Like people reading out of spell books, like what even is that? And I would say that neo-paganism through knowing and going to some of these events and knowing women who um, self-identify as witches, really, really beautiful spiritual women, spiritual powerhouse women in my life, um, that it's it's more, there was more there than I thought there was. So I, I was wrong on this one like my instinct was wrong on this one. So neo-paganism, so let's, you know, just today's kind of paganism, it's difficult to define because it's not a homogenized religion and that's its appeal. There's no central leadership, there's no dogma, but it's deep underpinning belief is its deep reverence for nature. And so if you're trying to find, especially as you're leaving religion, if you're trying to find a new rhythm to your life, a new kind of liturgical calendar, um, nature, I think that's a great way to do that. The natural world is alive. The earth is this kind of uh, super organism living being. There's, they have this wheel of the calendar that have these holy days that harmonize with the seasonal cycles of the earth. And so neo-paganism is this reaction to everyone being kind of disenchanted with modern life and it's drained a sense of the sacred from our lives. And when Christopher Hitchens, for example, he was asked why he had a Christmas tree and he said, I enjoy a solstice as much as the next man. And he was really a fan of resurrecting the pagan out of the Christian that put this block of authority on top of the existing paganism. So neo-paganism is this kind of spiritual activism, drawing on sacred ecology, seeking to bring um, the, the world together and this worldview that finds sacred in the natural material world and trying to make rituals that go with kind of the patterns and rhythms of the earth. There's a lot of divine feminine in neo-paganism. Nature is really focused on, which is really focused on the female as kind of being really the carrier for all life. Um, there's a lot there. I'm, I'm more of a fan of, of this spiritual path than I used to be. I, I've seen people do really beautiful things with it. What do you think? Um, I think anytime you put intention, so this idea of casting a spell. I know that folks who are in this space who cast spells, but to a T, the three or four people that I know that do this, they they acknowledge up front, like, I don't think I do something here, and then that person over there has something magical happen, but that when I create these intentions, 
when I'm interacting with the world in this way, it changes how I and others in my space focus on these things. And again, it seems to be useful. Um, one of the things you had written here was necromancy, which I don't know that we had time to jump into, but my brother, my brother is a, a smart guy. He's college educated. He holds a good job. He's a vice president of a significant company. And um, he does these seances with a um, person who talks to the dead. And he believes he talks to my mom and he holds this string down. It's got a thing on it and it's got a, a paper on the ground that has like a circle with all the letters and numbers. So zero through nine and a through Z. And he asked my mom a question and this string then starts to move and wherever it goes, it forms out words. So he tells me this and I'm like, I don't, I don't believe this. I don't think this is legit. So he said, Oh, ask mom questions. So I'm like, all right, perfect. I'll ask questions that I know he doesn't know the answer to. And when I do that, he suddenly, my mom is my mom and him have a stumped. It's not, it's not working. And what I think is happening is that his intention, when he looks at a letter, he's mo just moving your eyes, moves your entire body just a little mm -hmm. bit. And when you have something heavy on the end of a string, you don't need mm -hmm. much movement. Even just your breathing will move that thing. And so it goes to the places it needs to, and he gets the answers. And But when I would ask a question that only me and my mom knew, my mom suddenly doesn't want to answer any questions anymore. And um, I, I don't believe that's real. But again, when we put intention into the world, it may show up in ways that don't really make sense to us, but something else is going on. And it's clearly understandable in this situation, but with the witches and with other things, they're creating intention and those intentions tend, it's kind of like the placebo effect. Your mind is yeah, on it and we, things are happening. Yeah. We walked, we walked in a circle, all females. It was like a moon rising. There was the moon and we were, it, it's rhythmic. So you get into a kind of a trance. It was a really deep meditative state actually that I was able to get into. And then we, yeah, we set intentions with our little incense and like things that we hope for. Some people shared, some people didn't. And is that, was that powerful? Yeah, that was really powerful. I mean, it wasn't, um, we weren't casting spells that our neighbors would get sick or anything that shows up in the movies or whatever, but yeah, that was really cool. So I'm, to the, to the extent that that witches are really doing intention work and spiritual ecology and uh, feminine work, um, I'm much more open-minded to that spiritual path than than I used to be. The necromancy, <laughs> there's this. Um, this is where we get to the past life regression people, which I have a serious beef with these people. <laughs> so this is like not only do you know that you lived before you before this life that you have now, which is hard enough to do, but you then know like who you were. And so there's these parties and they're called um, come as you were parties where you show up as a person that you were in history because you're one of these people who has explored your past life stuff, right? Your all of your past lives. And so the hilarious thing, this is so funny to me, is that you go, they, they did a documentary on one of these parties and there's like, you know, six Napoleons and like four Cleopatras. Like nobody's a nobody's just like a slave who died when they were 10. 
Like you were all famous people somehow. And somehow you were all Napoleon. You know, how could you all be Napoleon? And so it's just so ridiculous to me. Like life is complicated enough. As soon as anyone tells me that they know what happened in the in the far past, like that past life regression or, or future life, uh, you know, this life is hard enough to make sense of. And, you know, six Napoleons at a party, that just, I can't go there with the necromancy stuff. But you doing that experiment on him reminded me of, of Yuri Geller, who was the psychic spoonbender, who's very famous. And, you know, Johnny Carson on The Tonight Show, they replaced his spoon. And he said, well, I feel weak right now. You know, and that reminded me of your brother's response. Like, it's not really working. Like, I just, I, he felt weak. I feel weak right now. <laughs> anyway, it's, it's tough. It's a, it's a jungle out there. I was trying to find it. There's a there's a kung fu video where a guy claims that he can just hit hit moves like five feet away from you and you'll still feel it. And so you watch like this five minute clip of him doing kung fu and his opponent is like falling over and getting tossed around, but he's, there's no one else there. It's just it's just the kung fu master who's using his brain and uh, hitting you from six feet away. And you just you watch it and you're immediately like, nah, that's that's bullshit. But <laughs> but again, we humans are evolutionarily programmed to believe in the supernatural. And, um, and there are reasons for that. We don't have time in this podcast to go into it, but there are evolutionary reasons for why we join together with the rest of our tribe and believe in myth and believe in um, what would normally yeah. be absurd. It's this weird thing where where we're, our brains and bodies aren't matching the modern world. So, so, so for example, like our, our bodies are trained that when we have a bite of sugar, like eat all this sugar, right? And in our modern world, we, you know, in America, I have sugar all around me all the time. So I feel like we're doing the same thing with this imaginative space, which is um, it, it served a purpose to have myths and have, um, and the world is so mysterious and have the supernatural and be superstitious. There's all these reasons for it. And then all of a sudden uh, we're in this modern world where we're not just tribes anymore, that we're all butting up against each other, trying to figure out what on earth is going on here. And now we're blowing each other up and people are killing each other over which religion and which God. And, and so it's one of those things where something that served us in the past is no longer really serving our modern world. We've have to, try to figure out what's really going on here or else we're in danger. So someone wrote, someone wrote a comment, um, just find what works for you and stop judging others uh, because you don't know what works for them. So let me take, let me, let me talk about this argument for a second because I get this all the time. And some of people he's asked, asked me if someone's beliefs works for them, why don't you just let them go? Right. And I've thought about this for years for a long time, I've thought about this argument. Why bother people when everybody's made up world is working for them? And I think to me, it depends on what you want out of humanity. So if you want humans to just live whatever kind of imaginary world they have going on in their brains in order to make meaning and make life a little bit less awful, if that's the only purpose of humanity is just to tap into some matrix so that you can make life somewhat tolerable, then okay, 
everybody just live in their kind of made up worlds. We all, we all, and I'm not talking about I am out of the matrix and everybody else is. I'm talking about we all live in our kind of imaginary worlds of what we think is going on um, because we process and see at the same time. So why don't I do that? And I think it's because I have a different goal for humanity. I hope that humanity can survive and eventually one day thrive. That if we are the only life in the universe, how sad would it be that we blew each other up because we couldn't even agree on what was real, because we were so sure that Jesus was coming that we don't care about our trash, that we were so sure about whatever, um, whatever our thing is that we don't see what's in front of us and we end up destroying the only life that we know is on the universe, in the universe. So to that argument, just, just let people believe whatever silly thing makes them happy. I think that that worked for humanity for a long time. I think before now I might've even agreed with that, but because um, we're a modern society and we're trying to preserve life, trying to make it so that people a thousand, two thousand years from now are born into a world that has less suffering. If that's the goal, we have to start talking about what is real and what is not. Otherwise, we're going to blow each other up waiting for Jesus. And that's a problem to yeah, me I because I want yeah. humanity to be better. I yeah, want you, it to be better. Yeah, you hit the Go. nail on the head. If we let people believe in anything what often happens is those anythings are used to manipulate people into obedience and loyalty to a system and systems over time have shown that they will resort to violence, unnecessary violence, even, even our own country. You know, we think we're in the great country, you know, United States of America, one of the best places on earth. And there's some truth to that. And there's also some truth to that even in our system, great atrocities are committed when we are at wartime with other other groups of people, then most systems are designed to make us's and them's, and us's are the good guys and them's are the bad guys. And um, I think the sooner we get to a place where we try to deal with reality as it is, I think we're all safer. Yeah. So I've got a, yeah, I've got a lot of comments, a lot of pushback on that statement that I that I just made, which is okay. I thought a lot about it. I thought a lot about it. I feel I feel good with with how I've concluded that. Um, I know I know that um, I know that it's really hard pulling people from their beliefs and that and that it's painful. But I truly believe that humanity can only survive. Um, and get to a point where babies born into this world have the hope of, of having a good life, of having life fundamentally worth living, if we can actually start talking about what is actually going on here. I think, I think truth has to be a part of that and that we can't just allow everyone to believe what they want to believe. So I had an argument, why not leave Mormons alone? Why, why, why post stuff, you know, publicly about Mormons. Why not just leave them alone? And so you think, oh, you know, they're, they're good people and they give tithing and they, um, they're harmless. You know, they're not, they're not killing anybody. Why not just leave them alone? But the shadow um, of believing things that are hard to believe uh, shows up. So for example, Mormons were the number one religion who were in support of, of Trump and Mormons 
a lot of Mormons showed up for the insurrection. And even though this isn't a political podcast, we couldn't even agree with what was going on in the country, just basic kind of uh, transfer of power, democracy kind of stuff, because we couldn't talk to Mormons who were just so off on, um, you know, resisting certain arguments or resisting science or um, conspiracy theory kind of stuff. A lot of Mormons are prone to conspiracy theories. So because we we had this group of people who are just prone to conspiracy theories showing up and, and making a threat, you know, in our democracy, it does matter. Like the truth at some point will show up and it does, it does matter, but not because I'm trying to rip people from the thing that gives them meaning. It's because I'm hoping that if we can figure out what's going on here, we can actually make the world better so that people born into this world have a better hope um for making life fundamentally worth living so there's some pushback there that's okay i've thought about it i'm cool i'm cool with the pushback so i have one last thing and my last um my last soapbox thing is this 1111 have you heard of this thing this numerology thing uh, i've heard of numerology but not 1111 so 1111 is this thing where if you look up at the clock and it says 1111 or the date is 1111, it's this angel number. And it, it means that the universe um, is giving you a good sign that you're like on the right track, right? It has this spiritual significance. And so this came up in kind of an ex-Mormon Facebook group about how many people had an 1111 tattoo or really believed um, that if you glance at the clock and it says 1111 because of this numerology stuff, the universe is telling you that, you know, you're on the right path and, and everything's going to be okay and whatever. And it has this uh, astrology and numerology stuff in it. And I was surprised, I guess, at this group who were ex-Mormons. So, of course, they're very critical on all the magic around Joseph Smith. And then the first step that they take into spirituality is looking at a clock and believing that the universe was telling them that you're on the right path. And that is, that confuses me. It confuses me how you make the jump to rejecting to your core, someone like Joseph Smith who did scrying and the treasure digging and the water witching and a thousand magical things. He's, you know, this magical worldview and you reject it and then you jump right back into it the first chance you get. And it was fundamentally confusing for me. And it annoys me at some level, to be honest. But that was my last one was numerology, which, which gets into astrology. And then to me, it's just the science behind the, you know, it's just so obvious that this is just a pattern that we create. And if you look at 1111, a certain number of days in a row, um, you know, your, your internal clock is always working. Eventually your subconscious will be like, Hey, look at the clock. You get this little dopamine hit. So anyway, that was my last beef was that numerology stuff is really hard for me to, to get behind, especially people who are coming from a system that they're rejecting because it was too hard to believe and then they jumped right back into something that was fundamentally hard to believe. That's difficult for me to understand sometimes. I think that I think that we can do better. I think that we can do better at looking at clocks and getting messages from the universe and shuffling cards and getting messages from the universe. 
There are, there are real spiritual practices. There are real spiritual people. There are real meditation people where we can admit this is all probably just going on in our brains, but that you can still get all the benefits that woo-woo and religion used to give us, but you can do it on a more firm foundation. And I think that that's what you and I are trying to do on this podcast. Yeah, now that you say the 11, now that you've explained the 11-11, my dad made several mentions of it being 11 around the time my mom was dying in hospice. And that was something for him. He was constantly looking for 11s. And if you're looking for them, you're gonna see them everywhere you look. I also want to note to, to folks who are frustrated in the chat, we shouldn't be opposed to investigating these things and trying to arrive at a closer glimpse of reality. In other words, for instance, in the faith that you and I came from, it would be really easy to do tests. Nobody wants to do them, but it'd be really easy to do tests where we send a uh, hundred priesthood holders down a wing of a hospital that's got people in similar conditions. And then we send atheists down a different wing of similar conditions. And we send uh, you know, the Jehovah's Witnesses or the Catholics or somebody else down a different wing. And we give everybody, you know, blessings for them to be healed. And then we study the data. we look at what the research says. And if the research says that our magical thinking isn't real, then we ought to start working towards creating a world that operates more based on reality. And when we do that, when we deal with science head on, when we deal with reality head on, we are less likely to be exclusive to others because exclusiveness is somehow I'm better than you. I'm the right guys and you're the wrong guys. Um, So when we base a societal system, not on religion and not on supernatural magic, um, there's less room for us to exclude another human being as being different than us. Um, It seems like we would have less violence. Seems like we would have uh, less, you know, violence in all of its facets, genocide, uh, I think murder to a, a large degree, uh, hate crimes, uh, bigotry and racism and homophobia. And it, so I think you're right. People can be frustrated all they want. I think we as human beings will treat each other better if we understand reality through a glass less darkly. Mm. And to there's one comment I, I want to bring up where someone says, um, I see that with people being comfortable uh, being told what to think in, in whatever fundamentalist religion. And then you'll do, they'll do a big swing into like a, a political left party and it, where it's really religious, right. It's now a new us versus them, but it's black lives matter or whatever it is. And so I think it's just something that we have to be aware of in the post-religious world, in the post-religious spiritual world that you and I are a part of, we're ten, we tend to do rebound spirituality. We're still looking for patterns. We're still looking for meaning. We're still trying to find ways to be imaginative and to be intentional and to grow into those spaces. We're still trying to find order and ritual and all of these things. But if we build it, if we build that spirituality on things that are entirely woo, right? There's been a scale of woo that we've talked about, but the really woo things that you're building your spirituality on, you're, you're just really setting yourself up for another faith crisis because the closer you can get to building your spirituality on whatever is ultimate reality, whatever is real, the closer we can get to that, the more stable your spirituality actually is. And that's what Bill and I are hoping for. We're not trying to destroy everyone's life and take everybody's crystals and take everybody's religion. We're really just trying to say, 
How can we do this the best way that we can so that people don't go through faith crisis? Because it was awful for both Bill and I. Um, and the closer we get to building spirituality on a, the firmest foundation that we can as humans who are barely reacting, barely um, relating to ultimate reality at all, as close as we can get to that, the better it's going to be for the world. The, I mean, we've got to be working with what is true at some level. We've got to at least be trying to work with what's true at some level. Um, and building our spirituality on that, which is what we do with, with secular spirituality, um, I think is the best way to give people a stable foundation to live a really good, meaningful, happy life without going through a faith crisis every time the system that they build their beliefs on fails them. So I know we've probably offended some people, but it really comes from a place of wanting to do spiritual spirituality better and not trying to make life harder for people. Yeah. And I, I guess the last thing I would say is I think you're going to have a better opportunity at growth and progress and moving your own ideas to something that's more helpful to the world at large by studying things that are really kind of rubber meets the road, feet on the ground, Jack Cornfield, Eckhart Tolle, Brene Brown. I think those are the places, um, you know, the, the, spiritual experts that help us get in tune with what's going on in the outside world and in our inner world uh, are, are better places to spend our time. And again, no offense, if, if astrology is your thing, then keep doing your thing. But um, I think the way the planet becomes a better place is by really dealing with what's going on inside of us and outside of us and trying to get better at it. Yeah. All right. So that's, that's all I have. Um, so for everybody out there, it is a jungle out there. There were multiple things that Bill and I, uh, we either had a beef about or it's something on our shelf because we're trying to figure out, we're trying to figure this out just as much as anyone else. Um, and then if you want to support Bill and I, we're fighting, a, we're fighting a war on two fronts, Bill. So we're fighting the, you know, the fundamentalist religion a lot but then we're also fighting post-religious kind of woo stuff that we find that is not, you know, equally non-compelling as some of the stories that we hear from religion. So we're really fighting a war on two fronts. So if you, if you liked this conversation, if you want to um, support this podcast so that we can bring in more guests and continue to have these conversations so that we can make sense of, of spirituality and be able to do it better, please support the podcast so we can continue to do this work. Um, because it would be easy to jump into, you know, there's lots of camps here that you can jump in and get, and get instant echo chambers and instant money donations, but we're fighting a war on multiple fronts because we really believe that, um, you can do spirituality with your whole heart and all your intuition and all the things that religion gives us. And you can do it um, without turning your brain off. And you can do it with trying to understand what's really going on at the most fundamental levels. And so if you want to help us fight this good fight, please um, go to our website, almostawaken.org and, uh, and donate so that we can keep doing this work. And we appreciate, uh, we had a lot of comments on this conversation um, and we really appreciate everyone who's been listening. Yeah. We're really in a space that it's going to be difficult to get donations. And so if any of you are even just the slightest bit kind of thinking that way, can I just strongly encourage you to help uh, Brit and I out? 
again, she mentioned the website, almostawakened.org. Click the donate button, which I've got up on the screen there. And just come down here and send us five bucks a month. And it'll allow us to have conversations far into the future that give us a place to kind of work these things out and wrestle with them. Um, I hope you've enjoyed the episodes so far. I, I think it's been a blast to to get into these topics. Uh, you know, the hero's journey is one that, that, that people point to. It's one that I really enjoyed having with you. Um, folks, please support the podcast. And for those who already are doing so, thank you. It means a ton to us. Yeah, thank you. Um, I don't take any, by the way, I will just say this. I don't take any money from this podcast. Um, I'm really trying to help Brit establish herself in this world. And uh, I think she's doing a phenomenal job. And uh, I make a salary from the board of directors over the nonprofit in its totality. Um, I don't get paid for any of the content I create. And uh, if you're, if you like what Brit's doing, if you like what we're doing on the show, please click the donate button, send a few bucks a month and uh, help us kind of keep this going far into the future. And we're just having a ton of fun doing it. And um, we're excited for what comes over the next few months or a few years. Anything yeah. else from you? And if you have a, if, yeah. And just, we had a lot of strong opinions on this episode. So if you want, if you have someone you recommend to the podcast, because, uh, you know, Bill and I are wrong about something or we could have our eyes open to something. Um, we are totally open yeah. to that. I don't want to be a wrong a second longer than I have, yeah. than I, than I am. And there were multiple yeah. things on this list where I said, Hey, I, I thought witches was crazy. And I, I think that there's some really beautiful stuff there. I changed my mind because I got more information and I met more people. Yeah. So, um, this is a conversation we're trying to figure this out. And, uh, you know, if you have, if you, if you are someone or you know someone who would be beneficial to this podcast, let us know and we'll try to get them on our schedule too. So, um, it's a, it was a good conversation and I appreciate everybody holding space for us to have this conversation because these are the hard conversations to do in post-religious spaces because, um, this is where we're butting up against things that are helpful for people and trying to see what's actually there. And it's hard work. It's hard work to separate that out. So. Yeah. appreciate your friend and uh thanks everyone who supports the podcast perfect love it have a great day brit all right bye Bill. this has been another almost awakened episode check us out at almostawakened.org where you can check out past episodes make a donation to keep this podcast running email us a question or comment or find out more about the resources shared in today's episode for coaching opportunities or extra support, visit nonsensespirituality.com to meet with certified spiritual director Brittany Hartman.